0: The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded Australia's most trusted energy provider by CanStar three times. Maybe it's time you switch to Red. And for Prince Wine Store, Bank Street, South Melbourne, and delivering Australia wide, PrinceWinestore.com.au. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkins.
1: And welcome everybody to episode two hundred and seventy-three of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson, coming to you from Melbourne. Corrie is still in Italy. Can you believe it? Lucky thing, Um, she's been sending us some beautiful photos. I think she's in Sicily at the moment. So, back by popular demand, is our wonderful third wheel, Anna from the Op Shop. Anna, thank you for coming in. My pleasure. Hello, everyone. Anna Barry. Anna's been to the movies. She's been cooking. Her winter tips, which she um, left us in my absence a few weeks ago with Corrie, was such a hit that she's got a few more, I think, um, focusing on the small screen. Miss Jane is back. Miss Jane, you may as well say hello as well. Oh,
0: hello. Two weeks of not producing the podcast and you had Nick Mackenzie in the studio in my absence, Carrie. FOMO to the max.
1: Oh, look, that was um, <laughs> there was some um, actually, um, Jane, great to have you back. At some point, we'll hear about your staycation. Which sounds absolutely lovely, but um, we got some lovely messages following the interview with Nick, who was so impressive as always. Um, Sidecar Cafe, I bought the book after listening to Nick and Caro—a compelling interview. Nina Mav twenty two, my copy just arrived. Really enjoyed the podcast. Thank you. Hey Jules one eight seven, this was a great interview. Thank you. Hey Jules, thank you. I've listened to the book; it's an unstoppable listen. I feel there is a lot more to be heard about yet about this. Could not agree more. And, Anna, we got a lovely message from Jennifer French via email. Um, You sort of think French and Saunders, don't you? (laughs) Oh, totally. I'm a newbie to the podcast. Absolutely love it. She's actually going back through all the podcasts. I think she is up to episode 57. And if she walks every day and gets through a pod each time... She'll finally catch up. Then she'll see her girlfriend. Anyway, it's a very funny story about... um, Ghosting
0: her girlfriend because she'd rather listen to you two instead of walking (laughs) with her girlfriend.
1: (laughs) Very amusing. And please don't ghost your girlfriend, but it's lovely to hear from you, Jennifer. Anna, an old family friend of ours, I'm assuming, Lisa Stewart, via Instagram. Hello, ladies. Um, I loved episode 271. Nothing like living vicariously through a European summer with you, Caro. Couldn't resist my description of their Tin Eats Musaka recipe. This is from our friend Tanya, Anna. She claims the best Musaka ever, or Musaka. Really? I love those tin Tin Eats
2: recipes. I've got one today, actually.
1: Well, oh, oh, good. We're looking forward to that anyway. Um, Lisa made it with her own um, lamb mince last night. Her husband's still talking about it. She also loved the recommendation of Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. It and her autobiography manifesto have become my gift books for girlfriends. Lisa Stewart, who we saw at our live pod in Sorrento back in April, um, our mothers were all great friends, Lisa's mother and yours and mine. Our mothers are still going. Sadly, Lisa's isn't. But do you remember growing up, Anna, she was the most beautiful girl? I mean, she's still oh, beautiful. She was the most beautiful girl and
2: everyone always said, isn't she the most beautiful girl? And, it, you know, made Karen I feel slightly... You and she was the plain jeans
1: and she was tall and gorgeous and I and remember still is. and Anna and her sister used to tell me that she could do a pull up her jeans without undoing <laughs> I still remember that without undoing the zip or the fly that's how gorgeous she was I remember thinking you know I, meanwhile I was lying on the bed sucking my stomach in with a coat hanger <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you Lisa that's a lovely message lovely to hear from you now Anna um I think we may as well kick off. Miss Jane says we have to kick off with the Stuart Jew story. Um, When I did the podcast last week with Nick, we didn't really talk much about footy, but I'd gone with a story on footy classified just after my return, predicting that he would be gone by the end of the year and potentially I felt by the end of the month um, that he'd be replaced in, in an intermediate fashion by Stephen King and that I believe Damien Hardwick would replace him. There was a bit of a backlash, um, a huge backlash really, led by Stuart Jew, I have to say, which just staggered me at the time because I I just still, it's really awful what's happened to him, but, you know, that's our job. You've got to report these things if you get a story. It just astounded me that he was so blindsided by it.
2: By the whole thing. Do you have a view
1: on it all as a footy fan?
2: Oh, I mean, I think because you had been talking about it a little bit, but even before, you know, you made the big announcement, you just thought, look, his time's up. His win ratio, win-loss ratio, pretty ordinary. And he just didn't look the goods. I'm sorry to say that. He just didn't.
1: Yeah, no, I think um, I've felt that for a while. It, it probably was a bit disappointing that they resigned him, that they re-signed him when they did last year, because now they're going to have to pay him out an extra $300,000, or the AFL will, because... It's the AFL's money that's supporting the Gold Coast. But they just haven't got it right up there. And, I mean, t- putting the story aside for a moment, I mean, obviously you're not nervous after you go with something like that because I was so certain I was right. But I did wonder whether they might put off the decision until the end of the year because of what I'd said and because they'd sort of done that press conference and said he was contracted, et cetera. But nothing they said in that conference really made me think that they were denying what I'd said, and no.
2: And do you think perhaps no, I'm not saying you bought it on, but do you think they thought, look, the issue's now been raised, why not just
1: there was clear so the much slate? disharmony. I mean, the CEO and Stewie were not getting on. The head of football and Stewart had were not fallen out, but their relationship was strained. And this happens all over the AFL. And when you're not winning games or you're losing important games, like the one against Collingwood, which was their first sellout in something like nine years, it, it does bring it on. But it's just baffling to me. I mean, do you, I don't know if you remember, we were on holiday with our kids at the Gold Coast, staying at the Marriott. Yeah. That, <laughs> Still, my, I mean, our children, oh, one of their favourite holiday experiences. And
2: mine. Remember the uh, pancake machine with the chocolate? My kids are
1: still talking about it. And the sand where they put the temperature every day. <laughs> I love the Gold Coast. Yeah. I, and remember, we went to the game. Yeah, we did. Yeah. That's right. We did go to the game. And I think Travis Orr, the then CEO of the Gold Coast, came to the Marriott and met me for a cup of coffee for just as a bit of a catch up to see how things were going. It felt like they were doing everything right. But when you look back, you know, well, they didn't have anyone of experience in the in the roles that they needed and it's just really gone from bad to worse. I know that they're not as low on the ladder as they were but so many good players have left and left in acrimony, really. I know. It's,
2: I mean, it's disappointing, isn't it? Because you think really all the, the pieces of the puzzle are there but it just has never really been completed. No. I mean, Gary Ablett was a fizzer.
1: Well, you know. well, the tigers have the tigers have been the beneficiary, really, haven't tigers they? Tigers have been very happy with their um, Tom Lynch, yeah. the yeah. meatball, yeah. Josh Caddy. <laughs> I know the the, <laughs> the list goes on, and Stephen May, you know, is a premiership player with another club. So, and and I think in the end they were just worried about losing the next batch of good players. How do you feel as a Richmond person about Damien Hardwick if he does? switch camp so quickly. When he does, I think, is probably more the story, isn't it? But
2: look, I just think probably, I mean, as much as I'm sad, Dim has gone, I think it's probably a good thing for the Tigers. They needed, it was just stale and it just obviously wasn't working. Look where we are on the ladder, you know. Really, it just was not a, not a goer this year. I'm slightly disappointed because I thought Pepsi might need more than just a couple of weeks to reboot <laughs> know, up to the Gold long. Coast. And I keep saying to my sister who lives in Damien Street, is the for sale sign up? Oh, on his house, please tell me when uh, the rental board goes up, and we'll really know he's going. But um, no, looks slightly disappointed. I thought he
1: would have taken more time, but maybe you've just got to grab it when you can as an AFL coach. I think um, Tom, Tom Morris, who we nabbed the day after he broke the Damien Hardwick story, Corrie and I nabbed him. We saw him here, and he talked about um, talked about the process, and um, I left with the distinct impression that the way he got that story was not so much from Richmond, but from the Gold Coast. And ever since then, I always knew Stewie Jew was in trouble, but ever since then I've been keeping an eye on it because clearly there were players or maybe not players, maybe it was their managers who were just being assured in a background sense, look, don't make a decision now. Let's just – things might change Something might change, yeah. And, you know, this notion of the premiership coach going elsewhere like Alistair Clarkson and, you know, Chris Scott's name's even come up, but I think he will definitely stick with Geelong next year. He's contracted. I just think Dim is a bit different than Clark. Oh, He didn't – he overstayed his welcome maybe by a year at Richmond. He probably could have gone a year earlier. But you know, I'm not saying – think that he'd fallen out with people – but you know, clearly, it was oh, the signs were not great last no, year and No, and before. I think
2: he'd done his work. They've won three. You know, maybe he needed another challenge. Maybe the Tigers needed, you know, just a, a different way of looking at things.
1: Yeah, and and Alistair at Hawthorne, you know, he was more burnt out. Yeah. Um. The they had all fallen out. I mean, it's obvious now that it doesn't. I mean, and because that was going so on. Yeah. It was bitter even before the um. The sort of so-called racism scandal broke late last year, um, so he's been through a shocking time, Alistair Clarkson. But I just wonder. I think Damien Hardwick is a completely different prospect. And he, I mean, he's obviously
2: still on great terms with the Tigers. I mean, when you're away, he was with all the gang, with Brendan. You know, in the not in the box, but in the the good seats. You know, giving the thumbs
1: up and looking very happy on the beers. Miss very J- happy, Miss Jane. You would have laughed. I was on a flight from. Um, Oh, where was it? Prevesa, um, in Greece to Milan. And my plane, the plane landed. And when I left, it was Richmond St Kilda, it was Trent Cochin's 300th. And I would tipped Richmond. I was really confident. But I was also, it was, I think it was neck and neck when the plane took off. The <laughs> plane landed. You know, when you take your flight plane, flight, phone off airplane <laughs> mode, first message sort of. Anna with exclamation marks, go tiges. I just I said to Brendan, I think the tiges won. <laughs> That's how tragic it's been just sitting at home. Just <laughs> anyway, um I I reckon we
2: could do with another holiday on the Gold Coast. Oh I, who doesn't love the Gold Coast? The weather's great, beautiful swimming, and it's fun. Yeah. And it's it's not I mean, I love far north Queensland, but it is an entire day of getting there. And Whereas the beaches Gold, aren't
1: nearly as nice no, and as Gold, they are on the
2: Gold Coast. Gold Coast, it's just you arrive and you're there. And, I mean, we come from two families that our grandfathers that you only ever went to the Gold Coast. There was no further. There was no Australia past the Gold Coast. It was Gold Coast
1: or Bath. So we've got a long fact, history. both our parents had their honeymoons at the Gold Coast. <laughs> I think they? mum and dad drove. Oh, they could. Oh. Well, we drove there when we went the first time Did you? on a family holiday. Yep. Yeah, we we always drove to Queensland. Well, our See, mother we... drove us, our father caught the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Probably similar to a lot of families back exactly. in the day.
2: No, I mean, what's not to like? I even love the Corumbum Bird Sanctuary. I mean, all, yep.
1: we just loved it. It was just reliable. It was fun. Our kids love it. I mean, surfers paradise, you know, gone are the days of, you know, remember when you'd go when you were kids, the meter maids. The fresh orange juice. I mean, there was things there that you just never saw. And remember the,
2: um, you could go onto the beach in your bikini and you could pay someone to spray you with tanning oil. <laughs> and then I think on the radio came over, time to turn or you'll burn. Remember that <laughs> on the Queensland <laughs> radio? <laughs> on the loud. <laughs> on the loudspeaker. I mean, yeah, the meter maids. Cavill Avenue was like, you know, Fifth Avenue, New York to us. I've got just a photo saying. of
1: my brother at El Rancho barbecue <laughs> on the drums with some bloke and a moustache and a sort of <laughs> Spanish hat and remember thinking that was the most incredible place I had ever seen. I've got a photo of myself and my
2: grandmother and I noticed she's still on her main course while I've finished my pudding. Just <laughs> and it was at the Happy Frog. The something frog, it's a black and white photo. It's absolutely gorgeous. And we were sent up with the grandparents and that was just huge. First time
1: I'd ever been on a plane. You had to be accompanied on TAA because you were little it was just fabulous. Yeah, I think we stayed at the Ambassadors where mum and dad had had their honeymoon, which is long gone. You stayed at the Sands? We stayed at the Sands and I said to my children years
2: later when we were in Queensland, I said, wait till I show you where we stayed as kids. It's just this incredible, you know, multi-storied building with a swimming pool and, you know, the waiters from black tie. We got there. It was a one-and-a-half-story building completely concrete-cancered with tape oh. all around it. They were just laughing, going,
1: Mum, <laughs> you complete loser. It was, I mean, Joe Bielke-Peterson's got a lot to answer for. They destroyed Surface Paradise. We rented an old Queenslander on the beach when we went one year with family friends, the Crows. And um, in fact, Tom Crow, who the famous golfer, former Australian amateur champion, who died a couple of years ago, who founded Cobra Golf Clubs, we went with them and we had this fabulous old Queensland. It was, I mean, that that was pulled down a few years later. there would be a lot of pulling down, sadly. But but you've you've explored, You did you stay at Burley Heads one year? We've been to Burley Heads, which I absolutely loved
2: and can really re- recommend. It's just the most beautiful beach. There's Bolo at one end, Surf Club at the other. And it's just magnificent. And we stayed in a bit of a high rise, but kids loved it, went surfing. I mean, it was just a proper family beach holiday. It was
1: gorgeous. Well, and as you know, I've in more recent times been visiting Mm. for Bridge Congress, (laughs) (laughs) which is, I mean, what a perfect place to have it. I, I just think the
2: Goldie's great. I mean, I even love Mermaid Beach, all those other little... Oh, they're beautiful. You
1: know, they really are gorgeous. And it's a great mini break. Yep. No, absolutely agree. In fact, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we'll get the fixture. Well, when we get the fixture for the Tigers' next visit to the Gold Coast next year. Well, JB's going up tomorrow to
2: see um, Saints' sons. Oh, yeah, that's poor old Saints.
1: It's always bad when a new coach comes in, isn't it?
2: Completely stressful. I think they've already penciled it in as the win.
1: Mm, More injuries. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one for the Saints. Yeah. Well, some people are going to listen to this and um, the the result will have al- already happened, but I'm very much tipping the Gold Coast. Now, Anna, any um, small screen or other midwinter tips for us? Because the well, weather's not too bad at the moment, but, you know, there's a lot of winter to go. Do you know what? The two one two things inside, one thing outside.
2: I thought we should go, and I'm including you in this, Caro, at, to Lightscape at the botanical gardens. They had it last year, it was completely sold out. It's a you walk in the botanical gardens at night, you have to buy a ticket, obviously, and it's a light, I think, colour and a bit of sound. Oh, did shows. I see, see someone
1: we know do an Instagram with their grandchild at Lightscape? Could have well. Yeah, and, it looked I didn't know what it was. And, and there's lots of it. big lights when you walk through the gardens in the day, these big lights.
2: I think it's mainly around the Great Lake, but it's meant to be incredible. It's actually, the whole thing has come from the Kew Gardens in London. Um Oh, I'm... and I think it's it's a I think it's about a two kilometre walk, so it's not too strenuous. But let's rug up, let's go, go in winter, go perhaps not with people's grandchildren, just going the later shift, <laughs> to be honest. But um, I think that looks really fantastic. So that was my... Is uh, it on all winter or just...
0: Um, I don't know. Miss Jane might know. It's definitely on now. I can check. But I do know that it was sold out when I tried to go when I was in my Melbourne mini break. So yeah. you do need to book in advance. It's LED technology because prior to that, I went to Fire Gardens, which was... All like actual fire. Stunning, incredible, amazing. This is a little bit more environmentally friendly with less CO2 being pumped into the oh, Melbourne
2: well, atmosphere. The fire sounds fabulous, oh, doesn't they it? They do
0: such a great job, though, at the Botanic Gardens. It is magical any time you're there at night. So I've heard very good reviews of this. No, oh, thanks, it looks Anna. Great. No,
1: I agree. I think
2: we should definitely do it. So I think we need to look into that. And my small screen recommendations, if you're stuck inside, I've got three. First of all, is it's the new Wham! documentary on Netflix.
1: Oh, I haven't seen that. It's just
2: hit the screens and I'm, let's face it, guaranteed to spark joy. (laughs) And I think irresistible pop nostalgia and also a real insight into the incredible talent of George Michael. So I think that would be really fabulous for our generation. And the second is something we have both been watching called Hijack. Oh, on Apple TV, I don't know if you know. this oh, I think one, a new Jane. one dropped yesterday. Oh, it was so
1: good. I we time watched code this. There's yeah. four now available. Is that four right? now.
2: We watched the one last night, which was what Wednesday night. Chris said, "Let's watch it again." I said, "I can't." I gripped. I had the dog's leg just gripping it. I was so tense. I thought, "God, the dog will be disabled
1: by the it's end a, of." The... So this is a. It's a British thriller. It's a seven-part British thriller. seven, yeah. Okay, and
2: it's filmed in real time, and it's starring the spunky old um, Idris Elba. So, what's not to like there? And it's a—he is on a plane going from Dubai to London, and it's hijacked. Now, he is a corporate negotiator, and he needs. Well, he's sort of the gig is he's using his skills to try and save the day, and that makes it sound a bit.
1: Oh, my God. But it's so gripping. Well, you don't really know yet. I mean, I'm only three episodes in. You don't really know what, who he is really, you, do
2: you? No. And you've got his whole backstory with his life in London. And, no, it's it's just yes. great acting. And, I mean, now that everyone's back home apart from Corrie, you'd be able to watch it. You wouldn't want to be watching it if you're just heading off overseas. You would
1: not want to be watching it while you're on a plane. In fact, no. I bet
2: you they don't put it on a plane. No, I know. It's so stressful. But, no, it's just great. And it's one of those things you think, I wish I could just binge it because the episodes are only 45 minutes. Yeah, and we... all week I've been waiting for it. And then you just slumped on the sofa. The dog just...
1: <laughs> well, we, well, you you told us about it, and we did um, the first three over the weekend, and could not stop. And it's got a great cast. Um, I've forgotten.
2: It's got you know the bloke that was um, Princess Margaret's you know Peter Townsend in the Crown. Yes, I've forgotten his name. He's in it, and the blonde air hostess is fantastic. She's been in heaps of things from down. To and Mabby. I think we say flight attendant. Oh, sorry,
0: about...
1: <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what <Whatever>. if? <laughs> And um, the one you're talking about is um, Ben Miles. He was also Doughty in the Foresight Saga. Exactly. He was Peter Townsend. He is and, fantastic. And I think Eve Miles, spelt differently, is Alice. He's the flight is attendant. Is she the flight attendant? Yeah. Well, she's got a significant role. And, no, it's really And Archie fabulous. Punjabi, who has been in a lot of things, including, um, oh, was it... Is it Chicago Hope or ER? ER, you know that she is. Um, she plays the oh. um the senior senior police woman. Oh, investigator. She is fabulous. Yep. I wondered who she was. Yep. So you've got
2: on the ground in London, and then you, and then oh, it's on just, the ground in Dubai, and there's a bit going on there too. There's so much going on. No, it's re- definitely worth checking out Apple TV. And my last, um, in fact, sorry to interrupt, but oh. Kate Phillips is in fact the flight attendant. Eve Miles plays... Was Kate Phillips in um, Downton Abbey? She just looked a bit familiar.
1: Yeah, I Uh, think she might have been. Oh, look, it's it's a fascinating story and a new thread is introduced, it feels like, every five minutes. It's, no, and you just,
2: yes, you never quite know who's who in the zoo, what's happening, no, and why they're doing it. It's, no, really gripping drama. And my last one, my last um, indoor viewing, is called The Last Vermeer and this is a movie on Netflix, and you've also seen it, Karen. Thanks to your recommendation. It's a 2019 drama based on a historically inspired wartime story, and it's about a peacekeeping colonel in Amsterdam post-World War II who investigates the true-life renowned Dutch artist Han van Meegeren, if that's how I've said his name correctly, in a skilled performance by Guy Pearce. I thought he was fabulous.
1: And he did overact a little bit, didn't not, he, at times? Or was I, that the character?
2: I think that was the character and it was, I think, meant to just show how flamboyant the whole art world was. And, you know, he had the wife and the girlfriend and yep. the parties and, you know, all that sort of excess that seemed to happen. But I agree, slightly over-egged, but I still, I still thought he was great. Anyway, he's accused of conspiring with the Nazis. So it's tense it's historical, there's great shots of Amsterdam,
1: and you learn heaps about Veneer Caro's pet topic. My pet topic, yes, and <laughs> it is well, it, it's about, um, it's about you know the Germans' theft of so much brilliant art, particularly from the Jews mm. during World War Two, and it's sort of it's a mystery. It's a story of forgery. It's a story it's a courtroom of theft.
2: drama. I mean, you—you, you, I was really surprised when suddenly we we're in the courtroom. Like a lot happens.
1: No, it, it's just not that sort of narrative you thought it was going to be. And so. it's—and it's interesting. Um, well, you're right about the Amsterdam bit, but it's a really interesting story about people who collaborated and how we really judge them. And do we understand to a degree? And there's a bit of a twist at the end, which oh. we won't be saying. But yes, so it is
2: No, it's I mean it was really dramatic. All, all the the bit about the collaborators and
1: what happened to them and No, we absolutely loved it. And Anna, anyone who enjoyed Bad Sisters and the ca- the, the 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 bad guy <laughs> who was known as the, the prick, prick. <laughs> um he's actually the star of it, Klaus Spang, and he's a Danish actor. And he was in that film that was on at the film festival called was it the circle
2: or the square that just went forever? A, yes. a Danish. Oh, that was film. a great. We
1: saw that at the Melbourne Film yeah. Festival. Brilliant film. He's yep. he's a great actor. No, there was um, and in fact, um, Olivia Grant is really good. She's been in a lot of things too. She plays the his sort of love interest. See, remember I said to you, where have I seen her? She looked really familiar. She was in. Um, Oh, he was in a film called Copenhagen. He was in a film called Genesis. He was in the most recent um, uh, Women in Love, you know, the, which has been remade many times. Oh, but maybe he w- it was that, but anyway. no, it's definitely worth
2: definitely worth a look. And also, you learn about art forgery, heaps about Vermeer. That was fabulous.
1: No, and that was a great recommendation. Thank you, Anna. There's we've started another um, a Swedish one called Limbo, which is, um, it it stars the the actress who was in The Bridge and who was in Atlantic Crossing. And it's about three groups of parents and what happens when their sons are involved in a shocking car accident. We cracked onto it last night. It was almost too much for me. It's pretty grim, isn't it? But it's so
2: brilliantly acted. I I absolutely loved it. I loved the setting. I loved everything. But I was just so tense. I felt like I was there with them. Yeah. But I'm definitely going
1: on. Yeah, That was a recommendation from my sister. Oh, Annabelle. Who has great recommendations, Moggs.
0: Lightscape is on until August 6th at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. And there's a Sydney version as well. So we'll put the links in the show notes.
1: After all that, I think we need a drink. It's time for the (laughs) cocktail cabinet brought to us by Prince Wine Store. Miles Thompson, welcome. Before you start, I should say that if you are interested in the wines that Miles is talking about today, and the theme is Bastille Day, um, a wonderful day, bigger day in France than it is in Australia, (laughs) the birthday of Anna and my dear friend Katie. Happy birthday, Kate. But remember, you go to www.princewinestore.com.au or in store for your 10% list and discount and use the promo code M. For Mary, e For our interstate podcasters, Prince Wine Store can deliver Australia-wide. Miles, you have a winter mixed dozen, based a, a mixed French yeah. mixed dozen for Bastille Day.
3: Bastille Day. We often do a um, uh, uh, La Tour de France mixed dozen, which we have for years. It's very popular, but... <laughs> The route wasn't great this year. It can be a bit difficult. It wasn't so, great so for, in thought,
1: terms of good vineyards.
3: Yeah, just places to sort of... They, they often go th- through some really odd spots, but there's some interesting things for sure. But um, anyway, so we thought Bastille Day was just as good, and it means it's all French French wines too, which is always fun. So Fabulous. I go know, ahead. I know. So I've got two today. Um, the first one is uh, Lucien Lardy Beaujolais Villages. Um, mm-hmm. so we've just, this is just sort of popped back into the country. This is the new vintage. Um, Lucien Lardy's, a, you know, I think he's like third or fourth generation farmer. And we actually got to see him a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago when we were over there and, you know, he doesn't speak a word of French, uh, word of, word of English and we don't speak any French and he smashed us around the vineyards in his old four wheel drive and showed us all the vineyards and stuff. But he's a really very, very cool, very sort of salt to the earth winemaker, wine, you know, really like a grower that makes wine is kind of what I call them, but makes really fantastic Beaujolais. So, you know, Beaujolais having that lovely sort of earthy sort of thing with that lovely spicy sort of top note, bit of kind of red and black fruit thing going on. So, so on the lighter side, so if you like Pinot, you'll like it, but it has maybe, Beaujolais always got a little bit more of a kind of earthy kind of turned, fresh turned sort of soil sort of thing to it that makes it really lovely, particularly for, I think for winter, having that bit of that savoury edge to it as well.
1: So Lucien, L-U-C-I-E-N, Yep, Lardy,
3: L-A-R-D-Y, Yeah, and it's the Beaujolais villages. So this is actually from vines from the '50s as well. So really quite old vine material, which is, uh, you know, I think at this level is is yeah pretty pretty sort of special.
1: And this is not a wine you, you store. You drink it straight away.
3: Yeah, look, you can definitely they have they have a system of like crew wine, single vineyards like you see in Burgundy. But this is like a, 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 a villages, like the more sort of entry level. So yeah, it's probably something I'd just drink over the next couple of years. Cost? Uh, $35 a bottle.
1: Brilliant. And yeah. you can get that at Prince Wine Absolutely. What else is in the French doesn't?
3: Yeah. So I just, I thought I'd do two reds since it's it's cold. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, the other one is uh, one called Chateau Fonterèche, and it's their Corbières Rouge. Now Corbières is right down in that sort of southwest part of France and Often you see around there, uh, particularly with the reds, they kind of make these like, I guess, rustic style reds. So they have a bit of tannin, they have a bit of bite, you know, perfect with sort of like grilled meats and things like this. Um, this is uh, this property has some wonderful old Carignan vines. So Carignan is, is usually a sort of wine that you see a little bit blended into, say wines of the Rhone and things like that. Their, their old vines are pretty special there. So they have this really Carignan, great Carignan, which is quite quite sort of spicy white pepper thing going on, blended with some things like Grenache and Maved and, and so it has this lovely sort of that, that warm sort of dark fruits with that sort of heady spice, that white peppercorn sort of thing going on. Um, yeah, really lovely, sort of mid-weight kind of going into full, so nice and versatile on the table and just a really fantastic wine.
1: And how much does this one cost?
3: Uh, that is $25 a bottle.
1: That's a Corday Rouge?
3: Corbières. Corbières, sorry. Yeah. So down the southwest, you see a lot of these sort of blends. They often Corbiers. have Grenache and Shiraz and Meved and the same sort of things in them. Um, and then there's these villages around there. So this is actually Corbières. So this is the actual village. So a bit bit more specific, a bit more considered a little more, a little more special, a little more premium because it all comes from a certain area.
1: Is France still the leading winemaker of the world?
3: Well, it's usually, if you look at sort of production levels, generally speaking, France, Italy and Spain are always at the top. Um, It might, year to year, it might change. Maybe it's France one year, maybe it's Italy one year, but they tend to be all around and it's it's quite a lot. (laughs) They make a lot of wine. I mean, if anyone's been to France, it's vineyards everywhere. I mean, there's literally vineyards everywhere. I know there's vineyards at the back of uh, Paris as well. Which they make wine from as well. So if you go there, you know, there's always an area there that probably grows something.
1: Well, the mixed dozen sounds absolutely beautiful. Are yeah. there any whites in there as well, or is it all reds?
3: Yeah, there's a few whites in there as well. There's a little okay. great little Grenache Blanc that also comes from the Southwest that's in there called Felicite, which is a little, uh, which is, uh, it's actually, we, we call it the, the cats in space wine because it's got a, um, it's got these great light like, pictures of cats, but they're really great wines. And again, from that Southwest, so Grenache kind of base wines. And this is a Grenache Blanc. So lovely sort of textural white. I think that's only about $25. It's really good. There's a few whites in there. There's a bunch of reds. Uh, there's a cider as well. So sort of up, up Normandy way. We tried to cover all sort of four points. So, you know, you got stuff from the South, stuff from the East. There's some things from Beaujolais and up there. And then Some of the West, Bordeaux, and then the North, uh, some sparkling. We've included uh, uh, a cider this time. We often include a cider.
1: And as much as I love Miles' segment, it's not as enjoyable when you're doing Dry July, which is what I'm (gasps) doing doing? at the moment. Well done, Caro, but really. (laughs) How did I time it? I I timed um, my dry month. It's, I think, one of the only weekends of the year that involves five weekends. Like, I started on a weekend, and I'm ending on a weekend. And it's a long month. It is, I mean, it's not, so not February.
0: No.
1: <laughs> Look, it's been it's been fine, but I've just got one gripe. I love the Double Zero Heineken beer. Mm. I love heaps normal, and you've told us about yep, some great yep. beers. There are some, you know, reasonable cocktail things you can buy, like, and you've yep. done a few of those. Lovely yeah, we've botanical done a few over ones. the years. Yeah, and um, but why can't they get a non-alcoholic decent wine?
3: Yeah, it's always been. our – we found that too. And we get presented with things all the time and...
1: I'm not saying you need to, but psychologically it's nice to have a drink, in inverted commas, at the end of the day, particularly if you're with friends. Are they all just dreadful? Well, I've never never been recommended one and I've never, I've always heard they're dreadful. Yeah,
3: look, I I don't want to, you know, I'm sure, I don't want (laughs) to make anyone angry who maybe drinks (laughs) non-alcoholic wine that they think's brilliant, but we've, we've struggled to find one that we think is sort of worthwhile. They're often a bit thin, they... Like a bit of flavour. Sometimes the process of, like, if they re- have the alcohol removed, it sort of really sort of changes that the sort of type of wine. The nice things about something like Heaps Normal or some of these beers, they can be brewed to be non-alcoholic Yep. rather than the alcohol removed. So they're sort of, in through the brewing process, they can do it without sort of, this is my understanding anyway, without having really enough alcohol to be considered alcoholic. And so I think they keep some of those elements. And also with beer for anyone, sort of the nerds out there, there, there's certain things you can do to add the texture and weight that you lose with alcohol. Alcohol, like actual alcohol, has a glycerol feel in your mouth. It gives you a sensation. It adds weight as well to wine and, and to drinks. So when it's not there, you you really lose that. And I think it's very noticeable. I had a friend... And so I think that's with wine. I think it's it's you really notice that it's missing. You kind of, I don't know, that's what we find. We find them a bit thin and... Not great. Yes.
1: And either too sweet or... I had a friend yeah. whose mother Sparkling years ago... Sparkling maybe, but... Yeah, no. Oh, no. I had a friend
3: whose Even mother worse. years ago I, I
2: used to... think the sparkling's to... really cruel. Oh, well, there She's we just go.
1: Saying. <laughs> this friend's mother used to boil wine, boil it, yeah. to take all the alcohol out of yeah. Juicy alcohol. And then chill it
3: yeah, and drink
1: it. Now, I don't know. I don't... Is that for the calorie <laughs> Well, that was, that was when she was doing Weight Watchers because you weren't yeah. allowed um, alcohol but i wonder if what it would taste what
3: like i mean if you're going to if you're going <laughs> to just have mineral m- water yeah and if you're going to heat you, heat your wine make mold wine i don't Outside of that yeah no. <laughs> i don't think you should bother
1: i'm not sure you'd boil all the alcohol that's extraordinary I don't that think you dedication would either. to calories i don't what it would turn
3: into i don't yeah do know how much alcohol you could burn from it
1: no i know
3: without losing most of the volume or maybe, a lot of volume.
1: Maybe I'll do a nice French sort of um, mm. beef bourguignon or something, and that can that be my alcohol, yeah, my, I, my wine fix for the month.
3: Totally. I think there is some really good non-alcohol options, definitely, and, and we've probably discussed the better ones on here. But I think, yeah, outside of that, unless you're sort of, you know, I think it just find other drinks.
1: Just get through the month. Yeah. Anyway, Miles, they're they they are great recommendations. Yeah, some good wines. The best deal Day Mixed Dozen is available at Prince Wine Store. And those two, um, the Corbier Rouge.
3: Yep, Fonterache Corbiers Rouge.
1: And um, the Beaujolais Village by Lucien Lardy. Yep,
3: fantastic one. Absolutely
1: fabulous. We'll see you next week. We'll see you then. And now, Anna, thanks to Red Energy, it's time for Books screen and food. I'm going to kick off and you're going to bring us home. <laughs> I have been reading a book that I had never heard of. I found in um, a Dutch bookshop just before in um, a beautiful street called, I think it's Cornelius Hustrat, mm-hmm. um, which your friend Janet recommended to me and where I spent a lot of time because it's near Park and it's got some beautiful shops. Um, anyway, I was flying home. I'd run out of books. I bought two books. One of them was by a novelist called Margaret Kennedy, long dead. She was born in 1896. She died in 1967. She um, she was really interesting in that um, her on her father's side, she's a cousin of Joyce Carey. Remember Joyce Carey, who <laughs> <Yes. laughs> we did we did at school. Um, I think she went to um Oxford, um, where she read history. She um, was sort of – her contemporaries at Somerville College were um, Sylvia Thompson, Winifred Holby, really interesting, um, a lot of women writers, Flora Foster. Her most famous novel play was The Constant Nymph, which became a film and was a play, very successful play on the West End. I think um, John Gilgood was in one of the early productions. What a great name, yeah. for Constant The Nymph. Constant Nymph. The Constant Nymph, and honestly, if, if, if you read it now <laughs> – it, it's sort of become a bit politically incorrect. <laughs> it's about a, a man and a 14-year-old a girl. That's how old she is when it begins. Oh, goodness. She does, you know, reach yeah. the age of consent later on and nothing really. Anyway, that's another yeah. story. But she, three of her novels have recently been reprinted. And the one I want to talk about today is called The Feast. Now, The Feast is set in 1947, post-war Cornwall. Oh, it's I know, what's not to like. What's not to like? There's a um it's set in a crumbling old hotel being run by a family that's slightly down on its luck for various reasons. And you know at the start of the novel there's a conversation between the local Reverend and his friend from London who's come to stay, that the hotel has been completely destroyed in a, a landslide. Um there were caves nearby, there was a mining incident, there were cracks. Um, The hotel was warned. They never read the letter. They didn't heed the warning. And you know that people have died because the reverend, um, who's not popular, is planning. He doesn't really know what he's going to say um, at the mass funeral for all the people who've died. I know this sounds really weird. (laughs) Dramatic start. It's almost like a mystery because you know that people have died and then it goes back to a few weeks earlier when all these families have checked into the hotel for the summer, families, couples, individual people. It's sort of, it, it's told over seven days, again in real time, and it's sort of like the seven deadly sins. Um, every, there are seven of the characters, you know, there's greed, there's avarice, there's envy. Gluttony. Gluttony. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is just, look at It's very old fashioned and there's even a spoiler, as a lot of novels have, in the the publishing notes at the beginning that, you know, this book was written in 1950. I think it was she wrote it in 1950. And, you know, the views of the time and not necessarily the (laughs) views of today. but. It is fascinating. Once you get, she's been described as a, as a bit of, a, as in one of the reviews, as a bit of a Jane Austen, Margaret Kennedy. Okay. But now I, that, I actually have never heard of her, I'm embarrassed to say. Well, so. I've I've heard of the Constant Nymph, which was quite a famous film and play. But honestly, Anna, um, the the Dutch woman who I bought the book from, she said, oh. This book's just been translated into Dutch. I'm reading it and I'm absolutely loving it. I've lent it to mum. I'll lend it to you next. Definitely. That there's, sounds great. There's the Cornish village. There's Cornish life. There's the post-war rationing. There's families and what they did in the war and whether they might have done the right thing or the wrong thing. Oh, God, it sounds like one with a lot. It, it It's absolutely, I, I highly recommend it. And The Feast, which is what it's mm. called, they're actually is it it all builds up to this feast that's been prepared um, in honour of one particular family whose mother has been um, basically confiscating her children's war rations and selling them so they never get to eat anything nice. And um, the talk of food through the book, it's actually really interesting. Anyway, that's Margaret Kennedy's The Feast. But Anna, I'm dying for this review because I haven't seen it. You have a screen. I do have a
2: screen and my film today is... Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Brilliant. Da-da-da-da, which I wish I had the Indiana Jones music because that is throughout the movie and you're loving it. Anyway, I saw it on the huge screen at the Astor with three 65-year-old male companions and we all absolutely loved it. And remember Raiders of the Lost Ark was released in 1981, and how much did we love it? Wait, well, not much has changed apart from the fact that Indy is over 80. Harris, but,
1: is Harrison over 80?
2: He's over 80, just saying. That's so, pretty impressive. I know. And look, we were obsessed. With, we had to just see Indy's last hurrah. So Is I, it definitely? Oh, no, this is it. It's It's the end of the line. Oh, is yeah. something happened to make it? No, it's just they've said, I mean, I don't think he could make another one. I mean, he's over 80. <laughs> and, he, I mean, he looks good, but he is over 80. But, look, it's pure entertainment. And anyone that goes thinking it's going to be anything other than that will probably be disappointed. But we absolutely loved it. It's action. It's adventure. It's archaeological. It's got incredible sets. It's incredibly bloody loud. And (laughs) they get all the old band back together. So it starts off a set in 1969. Beatles are on top of the pops and man's just walked on the moon. So it's actually, you know, the, the way they set it in the context, which I won't spoil with discussing, is really fabulous. And in a nutshell, Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary doll that can change the course of history. So oh. I know. Gee. His partner in crime is his estranged goddaughter, Helena, played by the fabulous Phoebe Waller Bridge, who's just perfect. She looks perfect, her voice is perfect, and she's funny. So she's great. Mads Mickelson is the bad guy from the other films, you know, the Nazi gone mad. There's a fair bit of Nazi action. Like, it doesn't stray far, really, from the original uh, concepts of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Antonio Banderas has a star turn. And even Karen Allen, you know, the wife, oh. appears. I mean, that's not a spoiler alert. She, you know, she... And there's talk of her. Indy's very reflective. There's talk of the son that died in the war. I think there, that's in other I haven't seen all of Indiana Jones. No, I don't think I have I either. think I... I didn't see the last two, so I was. I, I saw never know two, it. I
1: reckon. Yeah, the first
2: two. I think we saw Temple of Doom and Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Then we missed two. Well, this is the final one, so this is the fifth. Harrison Ford is over eighty, but look, he still looks pretty good, probably thanks to an awful lot of you know screen help. But one scene where he's got his shirt off is pretty grim. But overall, there's enough colour and movement. And it's just such a fast-paced, rollicking yarn that that keeps you interested. So if you want a farewell indie, really, this is your, your chance. Oh. I, I loved it. We all loved it. It was great. I'm really looking forward to seeing but, it. You know, it's not an Oscar winning movie. It's not, you know, the world's deepest, most intense movie, but <laughs> no, it, I'm sure no it doesn't pretend to no, be. No, exactly. I mean, it's just a rollicking good yarn and good fun, which is what Raiders of the Lost Ark was. There's a lot there's a bit of sort of flashback to things that happened. There's a few gags I laughed out loud quite a lot. So, no,
1: really get along and see it, especially I... on a big screen. I reckon. Oh yeah. Well, you wouldn't do it on the telly. I, no. I, I, um, I must say, I'm much more interested in seeing that than I am the latest Mission Impossible. Oh, no interest whatsoever. No. And
2: I think I was reading up about Indiana Jones, and I think Mission Impossible just was gangbusters on the um on the American, um, theatres, and um, they've been pretty disappointed with how indy has been received because they were both released at the same time. But I mean, it's horses for courses. I'm not a Tom Cruise. No, fan. no, so me and look, I mean, I liked Indiana Jones. You know, he uh, sorry, Harrison Ford, he was in that prequel to Yellowstone. So I have got used to him looking old and craggy because yes. it was him with Helen Mirren.
1: I watched that on the plane, actually. Yeah. That was good. I know. Well, see, that's what he looks like. I mean, it's not that bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds brilliant. So that's the latest Indiana Jones. And, Anna, you've also been cooking and I'm really – your recipes are always well received, as have been – all the recipes, Miss Jane, that we um, that one of our wonderful listeners put together. Boy, have we had a big reaction to that.
0: Um, I think we've had dozens and dozens and dozens. And look, the question has to be asked, when are we <laughs> going to put a cookbook out, Caro?
1: I think Can we I put need that on to. the
0: list for next year?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. And Anna, this one might well be in it. What is it? Look, this one is
2: crispy, sticky Mongolian beef. It's a Tin Eats recipe, which I don't really know Tin Eats, but Sarah Ogilvie, our lovely friend, said she bought the Tin Eats cookbook from Woolworths at a very good price. And she just is giving it away as presents. She said it is fantastic. So it's a Tin Eats recipe given to me by Anna Rothie, my friend who's obviously trying to spruce up my uh, culinary (laughs) repertoire. She's sick of me saying I'm just so bored with my cooking. Anyway, Mongolian beef, it's super quick and it's easy. And it really is pieces of beef stir-fried, coated in a sweet, sticky sauce. And you serve it with stir-fried ginger, garlic and shallots. So you stir-fry the beef. And you've marinated that. And use a decent cut of beef, like rump or scotch fillet, because you know when you're stir-frying, you, you can't have anything that's going to be stringy in. No. You know, so you can't have a slow-cook sort of meat. You've got to yep. have a good quality. So you, you marinate the beef, you stir-fry it. Then you make the sweet, salty sauce, which is Chinese cooking wine, um, chicken broth or chicken stock and um, soy. And then you... In another pan you stir fry, the ginger, garlic and shallots, which is yummy but really easy to burn. So you've got to keep your eye on them again. And then you just combine it all. So it's a lovely sticky with the dark soy sauce beef with lovely green, you know, ginger and shallots and garlic over the top, and you serve it with rice. Really yum, really easy, really moorish. That sounds absolutely delicious and not many ingredients. No, it's so simple. If you've got soy, you've got chicken stock, you know, ginger, garlic, shallots. I mean, and the could... Chinese cooking wine. Is and it who Shaosu doesn't... wine? Yeah, who doesn't? I love that Chinese cooking wine. That, And it's got a little bit of cornflour, which I'm slightly apprehensive with because I'm not – Good with that sort of thing, but easy. You
1: just dust the beef. Oh, I wish I wish I could get you someone, an expert, round to my pantry because you know Clem's gone to live in London, and how much flour? How many? (laughs) There's a lot of different. There's a lot of Asian products that. I mean, I just I just don't know when I'm ever going to use them. There are four types of sesame seeds. No, (laughs) black, white, roasted. You know that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. So um, maybe you should try and do the.
2: Mongolian beef and you'll use up a few pantry staples there. (laughs)
1: That's absolutely brilliant, Anna. Thank you for that recipe. And thank you to our show sponsors, Red Energy, Australia's most awarded and trusted energy providers. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. Now, Anna, there's not a lot to be grumpy about today. We're having a lovely time, but you have found something. I have. I mean, I I always think there's
2: lots to be grumpy about. And I was going to do the price of vegetables, but I'm just leaving that aside because I just think you don't need my views on, you know, (laughs) consumerism. (laughs) What I'm actually grumpy about, and it's a work-related grumpy, is people asking for big discounts in our op shop. I mean, you wouldn't go into DJs and hustle for a discount or hassle for a discount. So why do people feel it's okay in an op shop? We're well-priced. And of course, if someone, you know, needs something, of course, you know, they're getting it. It's not like we're you know oh. it's just terrible. And I often try and shame people into saying, Look, we're a charity. Every four dollars goes for a meal to feed the homeless. But some You're people outrageous. Oh, some people are shameless. And it's often the bulshi customers who can actually well afford to pay the price of our well priced items and ask for a discount. And it really gets on my goat. That's some um, that's a. what do you say? What oh, do you I, do? I just say we're a charity, no. And especially when you just go, I know, you're looking really well-dressed and, you know, we're priced to sell. We've got – everything is well-priced and it's just wrong. And it puts people in a horrible position. And as I say, you wouldn't go into, I don't know, Scanlon and Theodore
1: and say, oh, can you knock off, <laughs> no. you
2: know, 100 bucks no. off that skirt. So no. why do you do it in our shop? Just wrong.
1: No, I agree. I mean, if you're at a local market and oh. you're, you're offering cash. Totally. And, you know, it, I mean, I'm very happy if someone says
2: – you know, they've spent this and I say, oh, well, we'll just knock off something. I mean, you're allowed to do that, but I just object to people asking for discounts on things that are well-priced.
1: Yeah, and don't do it. Don't do it at charity stores. No. That's a very good point, Anna, and a very good grumpy. Yeah. Now, we're going to move on to six quick questions yeah. for Red Energy and you're going to kick us off again. Oh. Now, this, the, I, I agree with this one. I know that she was a favourite of yours, but the death of which famous actress has received far too little fanfare? Well, look, I think, were you away when this happened? Yes, I think I was. I was
2: on my own, just thinking. Why is no one talking about this? And I'm talking about the British actress and politician Glenda Jackson, possibly the Kate Blanchett of the 1970s. Just saying, who can forget ever her and Mary Queen of Scots, or Elizabeth R, where she had a shaved head and those incredible costumes. That was just brilliant. Well, I remember a touch of class. Carol, Sorry. I'm getting to that. I'm just saying, just, didn't you think she sort of had a quiet ferocity about her that was just fabulous? She won two Oscars, one for Women in Love with Oliver Reed. And, I mean, yep. let's face it, she made Redhead sexy. One for Touch of Class. She won three Emmys, a Tony, a BAFTA for Sunday, Bloody Sunday. But apart from that, she could also do comedy. Remember
1: her in
2: House Calls. Walter Matthau. Oh, that's She's right. Re- for-
1: I mean, I've she just about was the that. all rounder. She became a big hit in America, didn't she? Hit Hollywood hit loved it.
2: Loved. And look, finally, I've poked around on the internet long enough. I found an, a, an obituary about her, and I found out three things that really stood out. One, she turned down the role of M in the Bond films. Oh, I know that, that went to um, Judi Dench. Yep, and yep. resurrected her career. Two, after her divorce where she had a son and the demise of an on-off long-term relationship, she said, quote, unquote, I've been happily single for decades, which (laughs) I loved. And finally, she listed her hobbies in Who's Who as cooking,
1: gardening and reading Jane Austen. And I thought that was just fabulous. I actually saw her last film um, at the long-now-gone, tragically, um, Sorrento Cinema with Mum. It was a film called Mothering Sunday it was slow moving and really sad and it was set um oh it was Was set, that a Graham um post World War One um it, it wasn't a Graham Swift book. Remember who wrote
2: Last Orders? I think it was a Graham I Swift book. I think it book. was a Graham, and, and it was
1: really sad. He played the main character yeah. in Old Age, and it was a very small role, and it was made in 2021. So a very recent film, but one that I really, really enjoyed. No, Anna, that, I agree. I don't think he got... He sort of... Well, then she became a Labour politician and sort of stopped acting, although she did do this film Mothering Sunday and she just sort of disappeared from our screens, didn't she? I think she was a politician for about um, 25 years. Yeah, no, no, no. She had an amazing career. So, no,
2: I think really underrated, not nearly enough talk about her. But now, anyway, Cara, on to you.
1: What is your latest Dutch fact? Well, look, this is one that just fascinated me in my last few days in Amsterdam because I probably... um, sat. Not sad. Happily, um, Rose and Oscar and Little Sunday are moving home by the end of the year, so I probably won't go back there again with family there. But I was there in late June, and Anna, they have this fabulous tradition mm. because school was out well, universe- yep. and everyone was finishing year the equivalent, I guess, of year 12. And what they do is outside, and most people <laughs> live in apartments, yeah. outside all these apartments, and I couldn't work out why until Rose told me there were school bags and satchels hanging out of windows. And that is to show that someone in the apartment or in that house has graduated, has finished school. How gorgeous. So you just walk past thinking they're done. Yeah, and I was walking with um, friends, um, Heck and Ro, from Melbourne, who were there at the time too, and Heck said... What are, what are the bags? I mean, he's very observant. I never noticed this stuff. Yeah. What are these bags hanging outside windows? I said, well, I can tell you, Rose has told me, when you've someone in the house has graduated, you hang your bag outside the window. Don't you love European traditions? I know. Brilliant. I mean, they were mostly school bags and satchels, but yeah. if you didn't have one, there was just any sort yeah, of bag. bag. Anyway, um, I gorgeous. thought that was quite cute. <laughs> Anna, what's your favourite winter bulb? Well, look, I
2: wanted to say Lily of the Valley, but I realised that I don't think that's a bulb. That's actually a rhizome, if that's how you pronounce it. I know. Oh, because that was my grandmother's favourite. So I was wanted to say that. So it's not technically a bulb. So I've gone for the tulip. Oh yes, because I mean, my God, the colours, the shapes, just everything about it. I think a parrot tulip is one of my all-time favourites. And I mean, they're beautiful in the ground. Are they they're, the crinkly ones? They're the crinkly ones with the sort of um, pointy ends that, when they open up, that just oh, just magical. And they're often two-toned. You know, so it's pink going into orange or, you know, red going into pink. I just love them. And I love them in the ground, I love them in a vase, and I love them in artwork.
1: Oh, that's I mean, a great recommendation. Too late for this year? I think You're too Probably th- time to start planting lilies if you want to do a bulb. Yeah, Good for Christmas lilies exactly. now. Exactly. What about you? What's your favourite bulb? I, I love um Christmas lilies. Yeah. I just think – and they're so easy, plentiful yes. – and, you know, they're so and they expensive. just keep on, keep on coming. Yeah. Exactly. They're expensive to buy um, around Christmas. And if you've planted them, my Aunt Louise, mum's godmother, gave me a lot of bulbs a long time ago. Beautiful. And, um, and then a, a bridge friend, Zara, gave me some more. And they're just so plentiful in my garden come Christmas time. I yeah. feel very smart. Very happy. Now, now um, how, oh, you've got a question um, for me. Yeah,
2: Sorry. Got, you get the double question there. <laughs> What's the most versatile, popular vegetable
1: you came across on your travels goodness everywhere is zucchini i mean everywhere <sighs> anna i know i've <sighs> changed my view on zucchini there was capaccio zucchini Ooh. it was in one no no it's stunning in one it didn't need an awful lot of olive oil to make that half day. It had it. There was, the, you know, in Greece, they do those beautiful, you know, roasted in a sort of slight light yes. flour. They do it with eggplant as well. Yes. In Spain, they did a wonderful salad just with very thin ribbons of zucchini topped with almost a sort of a... Compot of little chopped up other vegetables. Um, okay. it was wrapped around There was stuffed zucchini. There I have never seen more ways of doing zucchini. Zucchini fritters all through Italy, absolutely beautiful. Fritted think, zucchini flowers, amazing. Yeah, beautiful. Do you think this is just a new thing? Because I mean, we've been overseas. I don't
2: remember seeing much zucchini action.
1: Particularly in Spain. Miss Jane, you put the headphones on, you want to you want to add something to ear.
0: I just think that that's really interesting, Carrie, because the raw use of zucchini is not something the Australian diet has had for the last few decades. i have only very new to it.
1: Well, I just, I mean, first of all, we know how easy they are to grow and you grow them and you just can't, you, what yeah. can you do with them all? They just go nuts <laughs> and if you let them get too big. Yeah. But if you do let them get too big... Seriously look up a stuffed zucchini recipe. The zucchini fritters and the ones just slightly dusted in flour, yeah. the capacho. There was um there was so many there were wrapped around wrapped around cod in one Spanish restaurant. There was so many beautiful and I, I think because it's obviously cheap, oh, yeah. it's easy to grow. Um and it off- goes with lots of things. Um I mean, it's very um Compliments complements a lot of things. Yeah, no, I was amazed. Anyway, mm. I, I think um, I'm going to definitely grow plant zucchini with okay. my I hope patch. they don't take over, carrot just saying. <laughs> now, Anna, last time you were on with Corrie, you spoke about an upcoming mini break. Now, you've been away, and I want a tip, a Victorian rural winery that you can tell us about, because I know you've been to one recently.
2: I have, and it was fantastic. We went to Mansfield for the weekend where I bought... My said book was so very happy. And then we went to the Delatite Winery, uh, Cellar Door and Winery in Mansfield.
1: Never been there, heard a lot about it. It is
2: absolutely beautiful. It's a new cellador designed by Lucy Cleminger and it's just the most incredible building. So you arrive, first of all, you're confronted by, or well not confronted, but you see the most incredible chook shed you've ever seen, designed and made by our friend Stevo. is the Taj Mahal. Of chook sheds. I, I'd be oh, really? happy to be a chook in that shed. It is really <laughs> fabulous. It's, it's so great. So you see that. Then you walk into this brooding building, which, and it was a very grey wintry afternoon. So it was just perfect to be inside. Huge windows looking out over Mount Buller, other beautiful hills, rolling lawns. Kangaroos, it was just, you really felt like, oh my God, I'm in the most beautiful rural setting. And then in front of the winery was a fire pit with these huge local bits of stone that I think they roast goat over in the middle of winter and do all exciting things and have sort of a mini festival there. But the winery itself, fabulous wines. You had big tasting boards of food that complement the wine. I can really recommend it. Was I mean, I don't do that much cellar door stuff, but it was really fun. It was cosy. There was a big fire. There's a dining room. So definitely Delatite Winery if you're up in the Mansfield region.
1: Great recommendation. Now, Kaz, what is this week's amazing fact? Well, more... Um Strong recommendation and deep dive as opposed mm. to amazing fact. But it, I do find it amazing. So I talked a lot about going to the Vermeer exhibition, which was a worldwide hit in Amsterdam when I first got there. On my last day in Amsterdam, I went to possibly one of the more moving exhibitions, the most moving exhibition I have ever been to. And it was it's called um, Van Gogh in Auvergne, his final months It opened on the 12th of May in Amsterdam. If anyone is travelling anywhere in Europe, it's on until early September. I honestly urge you to go. I mean, I I didn't know. I mean, everyone knows that Van Gogh committed suicide. So were these paintings he did just before he died? Yes. Yes, including his last painting, which is a, a painting of tree roots. But... Basically, what happened was, I didn't realise it in his last period. I mean, we know about Arles, but mm. he moved to Auvers-sur-Oise. I think that's how you pronounce it. No, probably not. O-I-S-E, which is not that far from Paris. And he did so to be nearer his brother Theo, but he still wanted a rural setting. I mean, Auvers, I'm sure now is pretty industrial, not industrial, but much more yeah. um, regional rather than, in, than um, rural. But he went. He spent, He spent. was there for basically his last 70 or so days and in that time he completed more than 70 paintings i mean that so he was
2: painting like one every a day.
1: day or more so really manic productive yep. And that that is my amazing fact. Now, what they've done—it's in the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. I didn't even go to the main exhibition, but the main—but I've been there a lot, and I love it. But and some of the paintings. There's one called the Church at Auvers, which um, they got from the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. There's. um, Adeline Ravoux, which is um, a, a private one, blossoming chestnut branches, so beautiful. That came from a gallery in Zurich. They've got paintings from all over the world for this. Set. Well, all of, they've got all of them. They've got every single one that he painted. That's incredible. So they've got all seventy. Yep. Oh, yep. And it was um, basically that it's in collaboration with the Musée d'Orsay, um, which actually loaned eight paintings as part of this special project. Obviously, a lot of them come from the Van Gogh. Museum itself, yeah, but there are you know a lot from America, and uh, it, it is, sounds so moving. Well, well, he what what he did was during this time that he made friends or he started seeing a doctor, Dr. Paul Ferdinand Gachet, who didn't die until 1909, and in fact he treated Van Gogh and they became very close. But then Van Gogh retreated from him and became more and more remote. Um, the, um the doctor's son he gave a lot of art to the doctor by payment and a lot of it was given to the doctor um, the doctor's family, his son and daughter and they obviously never kept or sold this. they gave it back to various well they I think they must have given it back to Van to- Gogh's t- trust. So it, it was nobody kept anything. He was living in a hotel. There were photographs of the hotel where he where he died. Well, he actually finally died. He actually shot himself out in a, a wheat field and then he made it back to the hotel where he was treated. His brother Theo made it to be with him. He died a couple of days later. And there is an, a taped interview with the daughter of the innkeeper about what he was like over those last two days and what her father saw as he lay dying. And you can listen to that. Well, it sounds um, an incredible exhibition. I seriously, and then at the end, you go up and, and you talk about his legacy and what happened immediately after his death and what was said and some of the letters of sympathy and eulogies, etc. Because he he had no money. I mean, yeah. it was only his brother who really understood how talented he was, and he wasn't really a, a force, was he, at that stage no, of, of art? No, I mean, it was only when he after he. And broke. if and if you want, you can sit down, and they provide these multicoloured ribbons, and they ask you, I have to, I mean, it it made me cry at the time. It's almost making me cry now. They ask you to write down what you're grateful for or what you love about your life, and then you go and tie it to a wall. And, oh, oh, Miss Jane, I'm going to give you the photo. There is a wall of ribbons. I mean, thousands. So people were so touched by this the thousands that, of ribbons and yeah. there's this whole thing about suicide and how it, it shouldn't be swept under wraps and you've got to talk about it and you've got to talk about, you know, mental illness. And look, I swear, it is it is just something, if you can get there, and a wonderful, a, a friend of mine or one of Rose's great friend's mothers, Katrina Molino, said to me, you have to go, you have to go, and I managed to get one ticket and I've just told everyone to go because I swear it is just... So incredible. I wonder if we'd ever get it here or it'd be impossible, probably. It probably would be impossible. And I don't know if they'll ever do it again. But it was, I mean, Vermeer was great. There was 28 of his 38 paintings. It was very crowded. This was done a, a better spacing, less people were allowed in. And it was just Oh, fabulous. God, no, it
2: sounds like an absolute highlight for you of your trip. It I really mean, was. It yeah. really was.
1: It was on, really emotional. Very yeah. emotional. But... um. But I, I just when I walked out and saw this wall of ribbons, I yeah. just couldn't believe it and I tied my and a, a someone very dear to um, our family died recently and I wrote about him too and people people were writing these messages and hugging each other and oh it was just Extraordinary. Sorry, sorry, we're ending on a bit of an emotional (laughs) note, aren't we? But anyway, it's really, really good. And I just, I mean, Van Gogh, as we know, I mean, that beautiful song, Vincent, all the films that were made about him, all his wonderful paintings. And that gallery is,
2: I mean, that was one of the best things I've ever done. I cried when I went into the self, there's a whole room, which is just all these self-portraits. So from woe to go and, you know, you just see the descent into madness, madness or, and, and sadness. No, I was totally crying. I wanted to go back every day. Chris was saying, just restraining. We can't go again. Yeah, well, and
1: remember we went to that great exhibition in London yes. about all the yes. work he did in the UK How when he great went and lived that? in London. Yeah. And, that, and all those sketches and, you know, he was really down and out and living amongst the poor. And Well, this the story of this doctor and his family who was given all this art and gave it back to the world, really, I mean... That was a great story, and there's there's a portrait of this doctor. I mean, it, it was it really and and you know to hear an interview with a woman who was there when he died. I mean, it it really is just so tragic. And his brother Theo had been given birth; um, they'd had a baby, and the baby came. They did come and visit him at one stage. And there's a beautiful picture of a pram. Anyway, if you get if you if anyone's going to Europe before early September, get, get online and buy tickets. Anna. As always it has been fabulous to have you in here um Please have a listen to our show. Don't forget, well, Miss Jane will tell you all at the end about how you can listen. I also urge you to listen to, um, this is not blowing my own trumpet, but it's blowing his. Please listen to the interview with Nick McKenzie Mm. because it's just a fascinating story. And don't forget, our Dear Carol and Corrie bonus episode is back over the next week. Please send us your questions or dilemmas to feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. And don't forget, each week a lucky listener will receive a gift from Ello Botanicals. Anna, your skin is looking particularly oh. sparkling at the moment. Well, thanks to Ello. And actually, now I follow them on my Instagram,
2: and it's fascinating. You can actually use the oil on your very dry hands. And mine are like horrible eagle's talons at the moment. So <laughs> i mean No, not. they
1: are. They're dreadful. I need to get on to that. So, no, the Instagram's fabulous. All Australian made facial oils. Thank you, Miss Jane. Corrie, we look forward to getting you back next week. And Anna, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And if you'd like to support the podcast, tell a friend about the show. Perhaps they haven't discovered it yet. You can send us an email to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at don'tshootpod and sign up for our weekly email. We'll send you the show notes straight to your inbox. And of course, thanks to our show sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. Hi, it's producer Jane Neild here. And when I'm not producing Don't Shoot the Messenger, I have the pleasure of jumping in a podcast studio every couple of weeks with Shayna Blaze, of course, interior designer, judge on the block. Shayna, the Homestyle podcast, it's DIY, it's design, it's renovation. What can people expect? Uh, solving problems, I think. You know, we get, you know, we have our little hashtag, what would Shana do? So people have questions of like, you know, I'm going through this at the moment. How can I solve it? But it's also talking about how we can save money. What are the new things coming out? And just talking how your lifestyle works with your home rather than you trying to fit into your home. You'll find a link in the show notes to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And you can subscribe to the Homestyle Podcast with Shana Blaze wherever you get your podcasts.